Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. It's good to be up here this morning as we continue our sermon uh, series in the book of John entitled, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I love that song that they just sang because it was all about the worthiness of Christ, and that's what we're focused on, of course, as we go work through the book of John. Uh, But we can't forget last week, Pastor Matt preached the sermon, The Word Became Flesh. And in that sermon, we learned that Jesus is God who took on human form. He is the creator of all things, and the only reason why we know grace and truth is because God became flesh. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we're just here this morning to talk about how awesome you are. Lord, to worship you because you alone are worthy. Uh, Just be with us as we hear the truth of your word this morning. Open up our hearts and our minds to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here up on the screen, you'll see our typical courtroom scene where you have a Uh, A lawyer speaking to a witness and the the judge sitting there. Generally, there are three different types of testimony that witnesses can give uh, as they're called. Uh, Someone could be called to give an eyewitness testimony. Or someone could be called to give an expert testimony. Or even a character witness testimony. So to break those down really quick, eyewitness is pretty easy. They're just called uh, to describe the truth about what they saw on any given event. It's their eyewitness account of what happened. Maybe such as they saw a defendant leaving an apartment complex at the time of a murder. Or maybe an expert witness is someone that would give expert testimony. They would have to be an expert in the field that's relevant to the case. Maybe a coroner giving the, the time of death of a victim. Maybe matching that time of death to uh, maybe, uh, you know, the time they saw someone leaving the apartment building. But then there's a character witness. These people are brought in usually to describe what they know usually about the defendant. It would be someone that would have to know this person personally. Someone that could shed light on uh, this person's character or their personality of how they usually act in, in, in their given life. Shed some light on who these people are just from the witness of somebody else that knows them very well. You see, in today's text, we're going to see John the Baptist being questioned by a group of people that represented the religious leaders of that day. They were grilling him about who he was and why he was doing what he was doing. The group of verses we're going to look at is sometimes referred to as the testimony of John the Baptist. What's really amazing about this is these religious leaders sent these people to talk to him because they wanted to sort of get an expert witness testimony from John, as he was an expert in the law, asking, kind of asking him why religiously he thought he had the right to be doing what he was doing. He was obviously very uh, versed in Judaism. His father, Zechariah, was a Levitical priest. Uh, And so they kind of wanted to get into this religious debate with John. However, John was not going to sit there and and go on this religious debate with them. He does answer some of their questions with Scripture, but he's, he's trying to get them to see 
He's not there to be an expert witness. He is a character witness instead. As John's testimony pointed them away from religion and away from himself and towards the one who is to come. That's why today's sermon title is entitled, The Testimony of John. Now let me clear this up really quick, just just so we're clear on this. This is the testimony of John the Baptist, not John, the author of the book of John. So when I say John, I'm speaking of John the Baptist, just to be clear on that this morning. So let's break down these verses, or let's, yeah, let's get into our verses. Uh, John 1, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, also sometimes known as the testimony of John the Baptist. Follow along with me on the screen as I read. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent him, to the, him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or the Messiah? You're not Elijah nor the prophet. John answered them saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. If we took these 10 verses and we boiled them down into one main idea, we would get this. We do not point the world to religion, but to the one who has come. As believers in Christ, we don't point people to religion. That's not our job, to religiously debate people. We simply point them to the one who has come. Just as John does here, we should strive to be character witnesses instead of expert witnesses. Of course we should know our Bibles and be able to explain and understand fully why we believe what we believe. That's very important. We should know God's word. However, it's Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that truly changes the hearts of mankind not us. Let's break these verses down to see why this is true. Let's go back to verse 20. And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, a little background again on John the Baptist. He was a descendant of the tribe of Levi, as his father was a priest. The tribe of Levi, or where we get Levitical priests. In the Old Testament uh, system, the Levitical priests were um, in charge of really uh, putting on carrying forth all of the worship. Whether it was the tabernacle, whether it's the temple, they were responsible to set up an area for worship so that the Israelites could commune with God. So John had a kind of a spiritual leader's resume, you would say. 
This is why they thought when they kind of came up on him and started grilling him, they would get more of an expert testimony in the law. I mean, meanwhile, you know, John was out there preaching. He was out baptizing, and he's grown quite a big following. So the religious leaders were becoming very concerned about exactly who this guy was and what he thought he was doing. Right away, he clears it up, I am not the Christ. So let's get that out of the way, guys. Definitely not the Christ. And they say, if you're not the Christ, maybe, maybe you're Elijah or the prophet. Now, why are they asking if he might be Elijah or the prophet? Well, uh, Elijah is, is prophesied as being the forerunner to the Messiah. In Malachi 4, it says that Elijah will return before the Messiah would come and set up his earthly kingdom. However, we see in the book of Luke, chapter 1, the angel pronouncing John the Baptist's birth. And he's saying, he says he's going to go before Jesus in the spirit of Elijah. So this indicating that someone else could actually fulfill the role of Elijah with this prophecy. So John did not lie when he said, I'm not exactly Elijah, not Elijah. So who is this the prophet? Well, this is referenced in Deuteronomy 18. And during John's time, many scholars believe that this was wrongly associated with another forerunner or great prophet like Moses. They would function as the voice of God to the people in that time. However, we learn in the book of Acts, this was just a term referred to Jesus himself. So to wrap all this up, John emphatically proclaims, definitely not the Christ, you know, the Messiah, definitely not exactly Elijah, and I'm definitely not the great prophet. So who does he claim to be? So they're saying, okay, who do you say you are? Well, he quotes and he applies Isaiah 40, uh, verse 3 to himself, which I'll read for you now. It won't be on the board. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. This was a famous vision given to Isaiah the prophet um, when he saw the final return of the Jewish nation to the Lord. At the return of the Messiah, the Jewish nation would come out of spiritual darkness and into spiritual light and return to the Lord as God's people. Now, we know this is obviously end times thing. This has not happened yet. But what exactly was he saying here when he says, make straight the way of the Lord? Well, back then, in that culture, kings would send heralds before them if they were going to visit a town or a city. And not only would they announce their coming, they would fix the roads or repair bridges and make easy the way of the king as the king would come. John was simply saying they could make a way for the Messiah to come now if they would all repent and believe, as we know that it did not happen at this time. So here, very humbly, John identifies himself as nothing more than a voice like Isaiah, proclaiming the one who has come. He completely takes the spotlight off himself and places it back on Jesus where it belongs. And that brings us to our first point this morning. They were so caught up in religion, they couldn't recognize the saving truth. 
Think about that. These were the religious leaders of the day, but they were so caught up in the, their religious beliefs and, and how th- this is, no, this is the way it has to happen, and, and, and this is what our religion says. They couldn't recognize the saving truth standing right before them. John was out there preaching the message to turn away from sin, place your, your faith in God to save you, but instead of receiving that message, a.k.a. the gospel, their religious pride blinded them. It was all about who does this guy think he is. However, John knew it wasn't about him and it wasn't about religion. It was about Jesus. That's why I remember our main idea this morning. We do not point the world to religion, but to the one who has come. When the world wants to know what we believe or why we're Christians... Remember, we're not supposed to be expert witnesses. We're not going to you know, get people drawn in and sucked in by our, our vast knowledge of, of religious beliefs. Again, it's very important that we know our Bibles. So we're not fooled when someone you know, gives us something heretical. We know, no, that's not true. You know, Jesus is this or Jesus is that. So it's important to know our Bibles. But we're not there to be expert witnesses. We're there to be character witnesses to who Jesus is. People are not going to be drawn to Jesus because of all you know. All we can do is speak about the character and the person and the work of Jesus. It's only because of him, who he is, and what he has done that we're all saved to begin with. That's exactly what John does in our our second block of verses this morning. Okay, if you're not him, what gives? If you're not any of those people, why are you out here baptizing? Then they asked him and said to him, why then? Are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands the one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the, the, whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So if you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, why are you baptizing? And he says, I like kind of his answer, well, I baptize with water. Why is he saying that? What does that mean? Well, if we read this account that's taken, that takes place in, uh, as written by the author Matthew, we get a little bit of a clearer picture as each author of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, chose something a little bit different to write about when, you, when we see these accounts. So let me read Matthew 3.11 for you. It, it'll clear this up a little bit. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John said, I baptize with water. Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's three different baptisms being spoken about here, sort of speaking. So first of all, the Holy Spirit, let's get that one out of the way. That's what we get as believers the moment we place our faith in the person and the work of Christ for salvation. We are then given the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can teach us and begin the sanctification process of knowing who Jesus is and God making us more like his son every day. Being baptized with fire is not something we want. That refers to the judgment that will fall on those that will not repent and believe even when confronted with the truth of God, especially these religious leaders that we're talking about. Water baptism is just that. It signifies as a symbolic thing of of cleansing of sin. 
but by repenting and believing in God. This was done with some who were not Jewish by birth. John was baptizing some that were not Jewish by birth, but they were proselytes. That means that they were Gentiles that became Jewish. And John was baptizing them in, in repentance and, and belief in God for the cleansing of sin. So, of course, the religious leaders did not appreciate that because he was also doing it with people that were Jewish by birth. Think about it. He's doing this with people who were Jewish by birth because they realized they had no guarantee that just being born Jewish was going to save them. It was no guarantee. This is what John's saying. The sign of circumcision was no guarantee that they would be saved. The only sign of a true child of God is repentance and faith in God. That's the way it's been since the beginning. It's all based on your faith in God. So it was, this water baptism was an outward act to show the repentance and the belief in God that already took place in their hearts, much like we do today. This is also why we don't baptize infants. We believe, again, baptism is an outward sign of an inward change brought on by repentance and faith in Jesus. We see here, even in the case of Judaism, no one is born into the family of God. Faith is always the key to salvation. All the Old Testament prophets, uh, all the Old Testament people that we read about in uh, Hebrews 11 that were considered worthy, it's all by faith they were saved. It wasn't because they were Jewish or born into the Jewish community. This is, again, a baby cannot make a decision to repent and believe. If repentance and belief were not necessary for salvation, wouldn't we all just be circumcised and baptized into the kingdom? Isn't that what we would do? We would just, we would just do our religious thing, our religious act, and then poof. I mean, let's just baptize everybody that we could find, and you're all just baptized into the kingdom. It's always about faith. John's ministry was basically to call the Jews out of religious blindness and back into the true faith of God, which, of course, many of them did not do. So even though John had this big deal following and he had all these you know, big you know, religious groups that were really just on him, like, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? They're very curious about who John is and what he's doing. He merely just pointed them back to Jesus. And in this way, it showed what John truly worshipped. He, he, he knew Jesus was God, and he worshipped Jesus. He was saying, you guys think I'm something special? Wait until you run into the real deal. I'm not even worthy to loosen his sandal to wash his feet. He was referring to the act of when a slave would, would come up to his master and he would take his sandals off and wash his feet. John was literally saying, I'm nothing special. I'm not even worthy enough to be Jesus' slave. And that brings us to our second point this morning. It's not about our religious works, but the one who is come. It's not about what we do. It's all about Jesus. Many would claim John had a lot to boast about. If you think about it, he was born into the bloodline of priests. Uh, His father was a priest. He obviously had the charisma to gain a great following. But all he could speak about is, wait until you all meet Jesus. 
I want us to focus on that this morning as, as, we, as we come to a close and as I call Joe up here. Think about Christianity. Think about your belief. Think about the people you come into contact with. When they find out you're a Christian, do you talk about your Christianity or, or your church or your religious beliefs or do you talk about Jesus? Remember our first uh, point this morning. They were so caught up in religion, they couldn't recognize saving truth. I believe there's many churches out there today that are so caught up in their religious belief, they're missing the point. I believe this is a tool of the enemy to divide us and to confuse us. Some people are so bent on believing religious things that the enemy actually uses that to confuse us about what the gospel is and about what true salvation is and where it comes from. The enemy wants us to believe it's all up to us. He wants us to believe that we're the special ones in the story. Everything's about us. The enemy wants us to feel like we're the expert witness because of we just have it all so figured out. He wants us puffed up in pride about what we religiously do and what we religiously don't do. Because it takes away from the truth of salvation. That's why he wants it that way. And the truth of salvation is all about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is why as Christians we should be more like character witnesses than expert witnesses. And that leads us to our second point this morning. It's not about our religious works, but the one who has come. Um, I kind of understand vaguely, you know, what John the Baptist might be going through at this point. Now, I'm not comparing myself to John the Baptist. I didn't dress as cool as he did. He wore like camel hair and ate locusts and honey and stuff like that. But, and uh, Pastor Mac could pretty much attest to this because he works in the, the, the regular world, as we call it, as well. When people find out we're pastors... Oh, boy. As I deal with many people in the paint store that I work at um, throughout the week, some know I'm a pastor and some don't have any clue that I'm a pastor. And you might be wondering why. Well, I do this on purpose. And I believe Matt does this, Pastor Matt does the same thing in the barbershop. Now, we're definitely not ashamed of being pastors or being Christians, but... We like to let that happen organically so that these people get to know us and who we are first before we get slapped with this label. When someone finds out we're a pastor, it immediately gets weird. It's uncomfortable. I, I remember I was on a, a fishing trip out in Lake Okeechobee one time. We were in this real shady area, and this kid shows up, and he was more worried about me than the sheriff's deputy I was with. Oh, you're a sheriff's deputy? Oh, that's bad. Well, he's a pastor. Whoa. It just becomes uncomfortable for some reason. Like, oh, I just said a bad word in front of you. Now I know you're a pastor. I'm sorry. It's like, well, nothing's changed. It, it, you do you, I'll do me. It's fine. Or even something worse happens. They start to treat me like I'm something special. Listen, I'll introduce me. Oh, this is my friend Jared. He's a pastor. Big whip-de-doo. Big whip-de-doo. Listen, it's not wrong to treat pastors with respect. Uh, pastors have very, very tough jobs. It, it, it's, it's no joke. It's, it, it's a rough job, and we need the, the love and the support of, of our fellow believers. Absolutely, but we are no better or worse than any other sinner in need of Jesus. Amen. And if you find a pastor that likes to point to himself 
and not to Jesus, get away from that sucker because he's going to, a heretic, and he's going to lead you straight to hell. Our job, now I'm going to transition, our job as believers is to expose the truth of God's word and to point people to the one who has come. The one who humbled himself and came to earth. The one who died a sinner's death on a cross after living a perfectly perfect life. I didn't live a perfect life. The one who defeated sin and death by rising again on the cross in victory. That is the one who we point to. The only one that could save us from our impending death and separation from our Father God for eternity. The one who I am unworthy to even be his slave. This is why we remember our main point this morning. We do not point the world to religion, but to the one who has come. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can even know you this morning. We ask you today to help us to become more like John the Baptist. Whatever our role is in your kingdom, let us always point to your son. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to you unless it's through him. We praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.